Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Getting ready to represent Christ to your world today. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling, Senior Vice President at the National Religious Broadcasters, which is a, an association of Christian communicators. Uh, I'm here filling in for Carmen LaBerge on Mornings with Carmen. I've been here the last couple of days enjoying hosting on the radio this fine uh, morning here. I'm hosting here from Nashville, Tennessee, but coming to you all across the Faith Radio Network and glad to be with you. We got a great hour of uh, programming ahead of you. We're going to talk to Adam Holtz from Plugged In. We're going to talk to Wendy Alsop, who has a really important new book about suffering. And uh, the last hour, I wanted to recap a little bit of what we talked about. We had a great conversation with Travis Wusso about some of the important Supreme Court cases coming down, including uh, the Bostock ruling uh, that really had to do with uh, sex and gender and some really uh, important implications for the church and religious liberty. And then we spent some time with Chris Martin uh, from Lifeway talking about social media and uh, really its impact on teens and really adults. And I think he hit on something really important there that I've been thinking about as I've uh, been processing this whole idea. I have a new book coming out called Away With Words that really talks about the way we live and act online. And there's a tendency for us to want to kind of use social media to curate a version of ourselves that we might feel is lacking uh, in real life, uh, a way to perform in front of a crowd, a uh, way to get affirmation by the right kind of people. And you see this in all sorts of ways. You know, you can do this if you're posting really cute parenting pictures and trying to send the message that, hey, I'm a mom or I'm a dad who has it all together and is doing the right thing. You can do this in the way we argue, the way we get angry with people online. Um, and maybe we're not the most courageous person offline, so we can play act this kind of tough, nasty person. Um, or you could see it even in the way we do activism. And I think social media has been a great tool for um, uh, really getting the word out about issues and really elevating voices that previously were not elevated. And I use it in that way at times to speak out on really important issues of human dignity and, and other things. But there's a way to do activism online that's performative, that uh, we, we sort of want everybody to know that we're on the right side and that we're not those other people uh, in, a, in a kind of pharisaical way. And, you know, it's easy for us to kind of uh, beat our heads against the wall. Why is social media so mean? Why are people so nasty? Why do Christians act like jerks on social media? Uh, the short answer is that's because of sin, right? But the long answer, I think, underneath that is there, there's something that's driving us there. There's something that is fueling us to do that. And I think that is this desire to, to, to uh, be known uh, and to know God. And I think the, the solution is in the gospel, that, that God loves us for who we are, not for who we project ourselves to be. He loves the real version of us that is not all curated online, but um, that is messy and broken uh, in real life. 
And so uh, I read this great book last year called uh, The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. And he said, the most important thing for us is to know God and to be known by God. If we understand that, it will give us the security and peace that we we desire and the affirmation we desire, uh, which prevents us from having to perform online in a way that really is fake and empty. And so I hope that kind of um, encouragement stays with you. Uh, we're going to be back on the other side of this break here on uh, Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dan Darling from the National Religious Broadcasters. We're going to return and talk to Adam Holtz from Plugged In, and we're going to tick through some uh, movie releases and talk about The Chosen, the series about the life of Christ. Join us on the other side on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Dan Darling here with you, and uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Holtz from Plugged In. Uh, if you are not using Plugged In to check movie reviews for your family, well, you should be. And today's a good day, a good day to start going to PluggedIn.com. Adam, thanks for joining me today. Oh yeah, I love talking movies on a Friday morning. So in this first segment, I just want to tick through a few reviews yeah. uh, here. F the first one, Feel the Beat. Tell us about that movie. You know, Feel the Beat is a, a pretty straightforward kind of movie that's aimed at a certain audience. And in this case, that audience is young girls. And this is a movie about um, a young woman who dreams of being a dancer. She goes to New York City. She's trying to get to an audition. And she manages to alienate the director of the production that she's trying to get into. She ends up back in her little no-name uh, hometown, which, of course, stands in for no-name hometowns everywhere across the Midwest and, you know, between the coasts. I grew up in one of those towns, so I can say that. <clears throat> but I, I can't tell you the name of it because it's a no-name town. Uh, and <laughs> she ends up um, working with a group of, of young girls, maybe five or six to probably 12 or 13 in a dance troupe trying to uh, to win a competition that will actually put her back on the radar. Uh, and so this is a nice movie uh, about just, you know, chasing your dreams, what you do when you're disappointed, uh, how you process that. Uh, friendship, obviously, and determination are big themes here. Uh, there's just a, a smattering of of innuendo and a little bit of, of profanity, not, not a lot, just, uh, one or two words that I'm like, wow, I'm surprised that got through in something that's rated TV G. So as G movies go, uh, this one has a tiny bit of an edge to it. Uh, and it's also a reminder that even with something like that, you think you can trust the ratings completely. You might still find a surprise or two. Uh, but it is uh, streaming on Netflix, and if that sounds interesting, I know I have daughters that are nine or nine and eleven, and they haven't seen this one yet. But it's definitely the kind of movie that they would be interested in. I have daughters that age too, so you just gave us a great movie to watch tonight on a Friday night. Thank yeah, you, Adam, I appreciate that. Uh, You're welcome. My Spy. You were not you were not a fan as much of My Spy as maybe you thought you would be. Yeah, you know, this feels like a missed opportunity. So there's this whole genre of let's pair 
you know, a big lug of a guy, and I say that affectionately, uh, with a spunky kid and let the comedy roll from there. And so we have seen this practically with every actor who fits that description. Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, Dwayne Johnson, John Cena, Sylvester Stallone, and Vin Diesel. And a couple of those guys obviously are former pro wrestlers. And now we have another one who gets to join this club, uh, and that's Dave Bautista, uh, who a lot of people will know as Drax the Destroyer, the shirtless purple guy from Guardians of the Galaxy. He plays um, a CIA operative and former Army Ranger named J.J., JJ likes to blow stuff up and kill people. He's not real good at the the more subtle aspects of being a spy. And so he sort of gets put on almost on probation and given this powder puff case where he's supposed to surveil uh, a mother, young mother and her daughter. The daughter's name is Sophie. She's nine. She's a spitfire. She very quickly figures out that they're being spied on and she uh, blackmails the big guy and says, you know what? I won't blow your cover if you teach me how to be a spy. Uh, so, you know, hijinks and pratfalls ensue. It's exactly what you'd expect, except for where it's not. And that's the language in this in this movie. And it's not overwhelming by PG-13 standards, but this is a movie, if you've seen the trailer, you know is pitched directly at families. And frankly, um, if I'm watching a family movie, I don't want to have to deal with uh, medium to harsh profanity at all, let alone, you know, 15, 20 times. Um, mm. So there's that, and there's a, a not a lot of gore or bloodshed, but a surprising number of people die in this movie. So we've got some violence. There's a same-sex relationship, which is something that we're seeing in almost every movie now, and it's almost like it has to be there. They have to take that box. So... All of those things make this not a very family-friendly movie for a movie that was totally aimed at families, Dan. Mm, that's too bad. And the last one, The King of Staten Island. Uh, tell us yeah, about the, your thoughts on this This one. The King, the King of Staten Island is an, an interesting film. Um, you know, it falls into a, a totally different category. This is an R-rated um, Judd Apatow. I think he produced it. I don't think he directed it. Uh, movie. And Judd Apatow, obviously pushes the boundaries in terms of what comedy does. This is a, a semi-autobiographical, autobiographical, not autographical, <clears throat> movie uh, starring Pete Davidson, who, of course, is sort of one of Saturday Night Live's resident loose cannons. He says lots of inappropriate things and is fairly regularly in the news. But he's also talked about his struggles with mental health, with mm -hmm. being suicidal. And this movie really draws on his story about a guy in Staten Island who he's pretty much a loser. And so the king of Staten Island is totally a, a sarcastic or even satirical title. Uh, this is a movie that is about his character development. Uh, and so it's a kind of R-rated movie that you're able to give it credit for saying, okay, it's trying to grapple with some really significant issues. And Pete Davidson's character here is in a lot of ways – really pretty likable, you know, uh, and, and Judd Apatow, I think has been so successful because he excels at giving us those sorts of likable characters. Uh, but the unlikable part is it's an R rated movie that comes fraught with a ton of content as well. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of language here. Uh, there's a fair bit of, 
of sexual content that, again, it's not as extreme as some R-rated movies, but certainly enough here that I think a lot of people would be turned off on that alone. Um, and, and just sort of wrestling through the existential nature of life and, and some of those some of the realizations Pete's character has, you may resonate with others. You're like, no. Uh, and then just an absolute flood of profanity. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, again, some people are not going to be put off by that, but a lot of people will be. That's a, that's a good word, Adam, on, on three important movies. We're with Adam Holtz from Plugged In. We're going to be back with Adam on the other side of this break. This is Dan Darling on Faith Radio here on Mornings with Carmen. Stay with us. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling, Senior Vice President for the National Religious Broadcasters, filling in for Carmen LaBurge here on Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Glad to have you with us. And we're continuing our conversation with Adam Holtz from Plugged In. Uh, Adam, I want to talk to you about The Chosen, which is a a series uh, by producer Dallas Jenkins on really the life of Christ. And I Mm -hmm. think... This took a lot of people by surprise in a couple of ways. One was the unique way in which they crowdfunded it. But mm-hmm. secondly, um, I think sometimes people have a skepticism about faith-based movies or depictions of Christ. We've seen a lot of or, you know, seen a lot of that. I think it surprised people by just how well done it was and the, yeah. the kind of good storytelling and character development. Were you surprised as well? You know, yeah. I mean, I think that it's easy to sort of have this expectation that sometimes Christian stuff is going to be a little bit subpar artistically. And, and I'm even hesitant to say that because it sounds really sarcastic and, and elitist and judgmental, but by the same token, I think we can all think of, of Christian entertainment we've seen where the message and the heart were terrific, but artistically maybe it, it was a little bit subpar. So um, Dallas Jenkins has done something I think pretty remarkable here in that he's giving us a multi-season glimpse, not only at Jesus, but at the characters around him. And and each episode is sort of built around a particular character and giving us a glimpse into their life. Um, and <clears throat> he's taking, I think, a dramatic license in the best possible way in that this is a creative imagining of what life was probably like for those characters. So uh, obviously it's going to intersect with the biblical stories we know, but there's a lot of extrapolation here that fleshes out the people around Jesus and gives us an ability to maybe think about what it must have been like in a way that I think is pretty realistic and pretty compelling as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it it really is. And uh, the unique way that he he raised money for it through through crowdfunding and was successful yeah. with that, uh, uh, I thought was interesting. Uh, I want to talk about an interesting development. Uh, LeBron James, who uh, yeah. you know the MVP superstar basketball player uh, now on the Lakers, um, is heavily investing in entertainment and has his own uh, production company. Uh, this is an interesting um, trend. What do you make of this? Well, I think it is an interesting trend, and I hope it's as redemptive as LeBron says that he wants it to be. So he has a new company called the Spring Hill Company that is going to be doing both entertainment-oriented things 
uh, and product-oriented things. So obviously LeBron James is no stranger to endorsements, um, but he said, uh, and I and I liked what he had to say here. He said, I've always wanted to use the platform of basketball to empower those around me. Now I'm incredibly excited about the opportunity to build a company that empowers creators, consumers, and everything that it touches. The Spring Hill Company defines empowerment. You see it in the team we've built, the stories we tell, and the community our work will serve. So I always have a, a little bit of a, a wait and see, hold my breath approach because one person's empowering is another person's, you know, not so empowering. And there are lots of ways mm -hmm. that, you know, you try to make something realistic. It's like, well, it's a great message, but it's got all this graphic content. I'm not saying he's going to do that, but until they really begin to put some product out there in the marketplace, mm -hmm. uh, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I love the impulse. He's thinking redemptively. He's thinking, how can I use my platform to make a positive difference? And I think that's a great thing. This kind of uh, funding mechanism with, with someone with the resources like LeBron has, that kind of disrupts the marketplace a little bit when, when folks like that get in, involved, does it not? Well, I think so. I'm going to say yes and no to that. I mean, I think that we have always had um, – and then we see it especially with athletes, you know, guys that – realize they've got a lot of money and what are they going to do with it? And so they weighed in, um, <clears throat> you know, I'm, I'm totally blanking on some other examples, but I know there are some, um, mm -hmm. but I love when they, they have a desire to do something that is going to be helpful as opposed to merely entertaining. And so Hollywood, we sometimes get on Hollywood's case as, you know, undermining values and morals. And, and certainly that happens some, but Hollywood is all about the bottom line. They're driven mm -hmm. by making money. And so when you have somebody come in with a you know, a philanthropy goal, um, it is a different motivation. And so I think there is a, a possibility for a different outcome there. Um, but they've got to work within the system too. So there's probably going to be some give and take there. I hope it ends up being as redemptive uh, and influential as, as LeBron is hoping at this point. Yeah, that's a good word. Well, Adam Holtz from Plugged In uh, at Focus on the Family, thank you for joining us today. And I want to encourage folks, if you're not using Plugged In for your family, to look up movie reviews to just kind of get a sense of what the movie's about and some of the potentially obje uh, objectionable elements, please do visit at PluggedIn.com. Adam, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll you, be Dan. back with more today uh, on Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling filling in for Carmen LaBerge on Mornings with Carmen. Join us after the break. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling here uh, on Mornings with Carmen and glad to have you with us on the radio. Uh, we're going to be back uh, with an interview with Wendy Alsop, who has a great book called Companions in Suffering. She talks about some really deep and hard suffering she endured and how uh, she found strength and hope in Christ and also in uh, her friends and those who came around her. You'll want to uh, stay tuned for this important conversation. Stay with us. This is Faith Radio. Dan Darling filling in here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. Life turns every person upside down. No one escapes unscathed. Not the woman who discovers her husband is in an affair. 
not the teenager who discovers a night of romance has resulted in a surprise pregnancy, not the pastor who feels his faith shaken by questions of suffering and fear. We'd be foolish to think we're invulnerable, but we'd be just as foolish to think evil wins the day. The Bible vibrates with the steady drumbeat of faith. God recycles evil into righteousness. I don't have a, an easy solution or a magic wand, but I have found something or someone far better, God himself. And when he gets in the middle of life, evil becomes good. Trust God. He will get you through this. God will make good out of this mess. That's his job. This is Max Locato. You will get through this. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling here uh, filling in for Carmen LaBerge on Mornings with Carmen. What a good word we just heard from Max Licato on uh, trials and suffering and getting through difficult times. And that is a great segue into my conversation with Wendy Alsup, who is an author and writer. I've followed her work for a number of years, and she's joining me today. Uh, Wendy, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Wendy, you have a new book uh, called Companions in Suffering, and uh, you uh, write uh, about some of the trials that you have endured, and uh, really with a focus on uh, the, the need for community, the need for friendships, the need for companions while we're going through difficult and hard times. And in uh, and, and one section, you write really I think poignantly about how um, uh, you uh, felt like people like at church that uh, it wasn't an evil conspiracy or anything like that, but slowly over time kind of companions fell away. People kind of didn't notice you or see you. Uh, and at other times, perhaps when uh, you were missing for a few days and weeks because of, um, a cancer diagnosis that it just seemed like people, everything went on without you. Talk about that experience and talk about the importance of community while we're suffering. Yeah, I I feel like a lot of the alienation we feel as sufferers is not necessarily even true. Like I think it, looking back, my I think they did notice me at my church, but I felt so alienated in my head. And they tried very hard to include me, but I found, um, in particularly, I had been an integral part leading a women's Bible study weekly. It was sweet, sweet fellowship. And they tried and tried to wait on me, to include me, but physically I just couldn't do it. And eventually they went on with their women's Bible study as they should, and I couldn't be a part of it anymore. And I just remember, uh, yeah, poignant sadness to it. But the fact that some of these, I mean, when you enter a new stage of suffering, inevitably your practical circumstances change and things will not stay the way they were. And the question is, where do you find community to walk with you? Because a lot of times, especially if you're physically ill or undergoing chemotherapy or recovering from surgery or something, you have to be, you know, sometimes you have to be alone. You have to yeah. not be around people right now where many folks um, who are 
um, immune compromised cannot be around other people right now. But where do you find community in those moments when you're utterly alone? What God, Jesus said really poignantly in in, um, John 14 or uh, 15, I will not leave you as orphans. And so those are the moments when you're utterly physically alone and the the normal rhythms of life have gone on without you. That's when we feel the, the greatest alienation. But the promise is we are not left as orphans to navigate that on our own. What a good promise. And you uh, make a case that even when we feel alone or by our circumstances, we're forced to to have a narrower circle of friends or companions because of suffering, that we can find uh, community. You say that God invites us into the community of the Trinity and offers us many uh, companions in Scripture. And I don't know that we think, Wendy, about Scripture and the characters in Scripture as our companions, but they really can be. Oh, absolutely. And when you're hurting, you start to see a little more clearly those who were hurting in Scripture. A friend of mine at a really low point for me sent me Psalm 69, or she uh, she texted me, I'm praying Psalm 69 for you. And I was alone in the car driving to see my dad at the time. He was in the ICU. I was about to start radiation. He had nearly died, was in the ICU for several weeks, and um, utterly alone in the truck because I was the only family member that was able to do it that day. And I didn't even know what Psalm 69 was. I looked it up in my Bible, and I'd never marked it up before. I'd never noticed it before. I'm sure I'd read it before but it hadn't stuck with me. And then I found in David's cries in Psalm 69, just such sweet fellowship. And it was so sweet to me that God reserved or preserved David's words eternally in scripture Mm. so that we would have, like sometimes you don't even know what words to put to your lament. Um, And the Bible talks about this, you know, when we don't even know how to pray, We, we can't even put the words to to out, out our voice to God, that God gave us Psalms like Psalm 69 and the story of Job, Psalm 73, Asaph's uh, Psalm, with really sweet, necessary words to put to our anguish. It's not just, you know, many of them end with hope. Not all Psalms. There's some Psalms that don't resolve. Many of them do end with hope, but there's several that just have such deep anguish put in the beautiful words of scripture. And then, you know, it's okay for me to cry out. It's okay for me to cry out with even unbelief, Lord, you know, Lord, where are you? Why bother? Job even has this point where it's like, why did I even bother to be righteous? And those words just, oh, they meant so much to me when I was struggling to get to the point of, of really believing God was working for my good. I had a long gulf between hearing my diagnosis and really believing in my heart that God was going to use it for good in my life. Mm. That's a uh, such an important word. And, you, you know, I think sometimes we're uh, impatient with ourselves and that we should we should feel right away and think right away the proper and right thoughts when we're going through suffering. I do think, Wendy, too, that going through some of these things helps us more sympathize with the characters in the Bible. And even does it make Scripture, I guess, a little less flat, where when we're reading 
about the trials of, say, Job or or David or or Joseph, that now when we read it, we read it a little bit with fresh eyes and a little bit more understanding? Oh, absolutely. I felt that way so much about the book of Job. Um, and I appreciated so much how in times past, I would just go right to the end of Job, like the resolution in Job. Mm-hmm. I would read maybe the first chapter, so I got the gist of the story, and the last chapter, so I could hear God correct his friends. But it blessed me so much to spend time in the middle parts. The The meat of the book is, you know, it's like 30 chapters of Job wrestling with God. And a lot of times Job, and I, I felt like this myself where, you know, I was going to obey God, but I didn't necessarily trust him. And I um, could, I felt like I was kind of like a stubborn child or where you're summoned to a room and you'll come in the room, but you won't make eye contact with the parent. And um, Job really helped me so much because he wrestled that way. And in the end, God said, God didn't um, condemn him for that wrestling. And it reminded me really this, this big truth that I think we don't, we don't give sufferers um, at first is, you know what, your suffering is, is the effects of the fall on you. It's the weight of everything that's wrong with the world. You're not suffering mm-hmm. because of Eden. You're suffering because Adam and Eve ushered in sin in the world, death, disease. So it's okay. You don't have to make your peace with death. You don't have to make your peace with disease. What sustains us is a hope for something better. What sustains mm-hmm. us is the confidence that God isn't going to leave it like this long term. And when we get to heaven, he will wipe away every tear. But sometimes I feel like we have to, you know, uh, we kind of encourage sufferers to um, make peace or be okay with or like assign some kind of value to the pain itself where the pain itself is just, it's the effects of the fall of the world. What our hope is in is that God is better than this, that God is so sovereign and so miraculous. He can take this very bad, wrong thing, and it is okay for me to call it bad and wrong. And he can transcend it. And like he did with Joseph, what what you meant for evil, God used instead for good. But you can never stop with the idea that it was meant for evil. It it started out bad. And um, I think we need to draw that distinction. There is something for you legitimately to mourn. And that mourning is not just allowed in Scripture. It's it's, um, encased in Scripture. Scripture gives you words of mourning. Um, and to me, I could not get to peace without first serious lament. Mm. That's such a good word, Wendy. And we're going to be back here on Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling here filling in for Carmen LaBerge on Mornings with Carmen. We're going to be back on the other side of this break. And uh, I do want to talk to Wendy about how we can help those who suffer uh, as she was suffering and what kind of companionship we can offer as friends. Uh, stay with us here on Faith Radio. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling here on Mornings with Carmen. We've had a great 
a couple hours of radio here as we've had some really important conversations and we're we're uh, ending the hour here with uh, Wendy Alsop, who has a really good book called Companions in Suffering. Uh, it's out with uh, IVP, and I hope you will go get that. She talks really personally and candidly about her own experiences uh, in suffering and, and how she found hope in Christ. Wendy, we've talked about um, kind of feeling isolated and alone when you're suffering and, and how you found companionship in the scriptures and the and the characters of scripture who have gone through things and reading uh psalms david lamenting i want to talk now about how we as the body can come around those who su- are suffering we don't always know how to do this and you know some people do it better than others sometimes we feel like we have to have an answer sometimes we feel to rush people through the lament into the kind of season of of joy and celebration as someone who was a sufferer, how, what advice do you have for others who are trying to come alongside their friends in this way? Yeah, I was not a good companion until I had to go through it. And I had friends who were much better companions to me than I had ever been. And so I learned some things emotionally. Um, I felt like um, I I would be so frustrated because I would get to an emotional low point, and I, I use this uh, language of a friend's talking me off the ledge, and I want to be careful not to, I was never actually suicidal, but I just felt like I was so, if I could have mm. figured out a way to quit the faith, I would have, you know, if I, but you, that phrase, where else would you go? Um, I have nowhere mm. else to go. And I, when I would get to those low points, I had three friends in particular that would call and check in on me multiple times, you know, between the three of them, I probably got two calls a day for weeks and weeks and weeks. And they would just talk me through the truths of God. They wouldn't Mm -hmm. necessarily, they weren't giving me advice of what to do in my circumstances. They were just reminding me of the character of God. God's got you. Uh, be still and know that I am God, he says. They would read me scripture and they would never guilt me that I was back at that place again. And it would be so frustrating at the worst points. I would need like two or three calls a day. But consistently, my low points did not cause them to lose faith. And instead, they held on, their faith was able to encourage me And that was a good lesson to me in how to walk with someone in an emotionally low point. And then as I was recovering from my surgeries, I had one of my sisters in particular did such a good job of walking with me through my physical low point. And um, she just did, she she would help me, but she would tell me what she was doing and she would check with me. And then she would ask me what I needed. And... Hmm. I've often gone to people and said, well, let me know if you need something. But I was at too low of a physical point to let people know. And I had people offended when they would come in my house and find that I was, you know, it was a disaster area and I was feeling very bad because I hadn't let them know. But I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm too sick to let you know. I can't think of who to call. It came on fast. Mm. And, um, 
my physical recovery after each surgery was an ebb and a flow. Like I would feel better some days and I'm a single mom. I wanted to get in, get doing, I need to clean up this house. And then inevitably I, I would go back down the other side. And I felt like folks were almost offended that I would have relapses or, um, and so my, my encouragement is to check in, proactively check in with your friend. Call them and say, I'm going to the grocery store. Can I pick you up something? Or call them and say, um, how are you feeling today? Are you, are you feeling as good as you were the other day? You know, if you want to know how someone's doing, you really are going to need to call and check in with them. And do not ever, don't put that on your suffering friend to get offended if they don't, quote unquote, let you know. Because for depending on where you are in your path of suffering, that's just a weight they can't necessarily take on. Mm, that's a really good word. And I, I don't know that everyone always thinks of that in, in terms of, you know, how do we come alongside people? How do we notice that they need things, but also not put that burden of the sufferer to, to have to do that? Wendy Alsup is the author of Companions in Suffering. It's a fantastic book with IVP. I encourage all of you to get it. Wendy, thanks for joining us. And I want to thank all of you for joining us today on Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling filling in for Carmen LaBerge on Mornings with Carmen. We'll be back after this break. Welcome back to Faith Radio. This is Dan Darling. Uh, I've had a great time filling in this morning for Carmen LeBurge on Mornings with Carmen. Uh, had a great time these last couple of days. We've had some really good conversations. Uh, and I'm still thinking about the last uh, guest that we had, Wendy Alsop, who has a great book called Companions in Suffering. And uh, one of the things she said I've been thinking about, uh, as Christians, we often don't really know what to do with suffering. On the one hand, we know we, we have heaven awaiting for awaiting us, and so this will be over, and that is our hope. On the other hand, we know that uh, evil and suffering and sickness is a result of uh, the way that sin has kind of made its way through the world. Uh, at times, I think we, we push too hard on ourselves and others to kind of find the joy, find the happiness of, hey, this is all going to work out in the end. When instead, I think sometimes we need to sit in our suffering. We need to um, be as angry at death and sickness as Jesus was. I think of Jesus when he is at uh, Lazarus' home and he peers into the coffin where the corpse of his friend, his wonderful friend, is rotting away. And the text says that he not only wept, but he was angry within himself. And he was angry because death is the work of the enemy. Death is not uh, the original design. It's also not the final story. So we can lament, we can weep, we can sit in our suffering, we can we can be uh, process that the way Jesus did. But then we also have hope that we, we know that one day he will raise us body and soul and make all things new again. I hope that hope is what you carry with you today. This is Dan Darling here on Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen. I've enjoyed being with you this morning. Stay tuned for more. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. 
If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.